And whether you're quarantined in the house or not, you still don't want your gym bag being all nasty. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure your stuff stays in check. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to your junk. Thanks to their lawnmower 3.0, Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. While you're probably at home looking for something to do, why not make manscaping a part of your new routine? You don't want to look like you're sitting on Ming's shoulders from WCW, and you don't want Brutus the Barber Beefcake chomping away down there, and you dang sure don't want to use that Freebird hair removal cream. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Your goods are going to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Inside the Perfect Package you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. You're probably sitting on the couch like Al Bundy right now anyway, so you might as well keep everything smooth and fresh. Subscribe to the perfect package to get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer briefs this is the perfect package for your perfect package get 20 percent off and free shipping with code slopdrop at manscaped.com that's slopdrop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the promo code slopdrop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p That's a slot drop. I can answer that. That's a slot drop. What is that move? That's a slot drop. Slot drop time. That's a slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. The slot drop indeed. What's up, wrestling fans? Welcome back to the slot drop. This is Nathan Rogers at Woopig Sumo on Twitter. And my tag team partner for this episode is the voice of the Twin Lakes Sports Network, the loose cannon, David McBee. Man, I'm ready to bring the boom to the room. It's been a fun day already. Just got done uh, bidding on items on Mid-States Wrestling and now ready to uh, do a do a big show right here. And I'm pretty pumped. This is a fun episode. We're breaking down. And ladies and gentlemen, you are looking live in the Baltimore Arena. This is... The Great American Bash. We're going to talk about the NWA Great American Bash from 1990. They build it as the new revolution. July 7th, 1990 from Baltimore, Maryland. It's Baltimore Arena. 10,000 in attendance. Jim Ross and Bob Cottle on commentary. Legendary Gordon Sully doing interviews. This would be the last Great American Bash under the NWA name and the start of the legacy of Sting. Well, this this uh, pay-per-view to me was all about pass, passing the torch. And we thought it would be a passing of the torch, but ultimately, was it really ever really a passing of the torch? Because Ric Flair continued to be the man. But this was forever known as the event that made Sting a main event guy. First match of the night, Flying Brian Pillman defeated Buddy Landell by pinfall with a crossbody over the top rope, or from the top rope. Crossbody from the top! Buddy Landell out there 
240 pounds of twisted steel and dad bought a pill out there sexing and flexing all over the place. Bit of a styles clash. Landell kept the pace slow, but, I mean, that's okay. It was, uh, I mean, it was Buddy Landell versus Flying Brian. He couldn't keep up with him. So I am surprised that allowed Landell to still go by Nature Boy considering Flair was the champion at the time. Yeah, that's something I always question with Buddy Landell is the Nature Boy gimmick, to me, always seemed really awkward because – you know, look, you got the main event. You got the nature boy, Ric Flair, the guy that's synonymous. And then it's almost like, well, here's your uh, generic uh, brand knockoff. And Buddy Liddell, Landell was a great worker, but the way he worked, the way he cheated, his even his body motions was very similar to Flair. And it was almost kind of painful watching this too because, I, you know, I saw Buddy Landell, uh, you know, matches. I think we were just talking about one a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. And... You could see how his body had just deteriorated. The dad bod is what he actually had working. He made me feel better about my body, (laughs) but I couldn't take him as a legitimate person that might beat Flying Brian Pillman, the former NFL player who uh, Jim Ross was uh, really putting over during Pillman's push during this time. Second match, Captain Mike Rotunda defeated the Iron Sheik with a backslide pin. They hold him there. One, two, three. Three. He, He got it. These two actually faced each other at WrestleMania 1 in a tag team match. Uh, the Sheik attacked uh, Rotunda before the bell. Gets a ton of heat. Rotunda, of course, father of Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas. Brother-in-law of Barry Windham. Good wrestler, good amateur wrestler. But for some reason, always drew the, stort, the short stick in the gimmick box, as you call it. Uh, here, for some reason, he was a Navy captain. And then, of course, uh, he was IRS and Wall Street after that. I think he was his best as himself in the varsity club. Well, what was the whole point with this captain know. gimmick? I mean, you know, the only way I could tell he's a captain is on the back of his trunks. It had the little captain symbol. But, you know, I'm like, what in the heck are they having him do? I mean, who thought of this from the box of gimmicks? Just absolutely terrible. And speaking of terrible, this chic. I mean, his gut looked like it was ready to pop. and I break your back. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was doing his flex. And it's crazy because, you know, I'm going back and watching all the WrestleManias. So I was watching, like, the things like WrestleMania 2 or WrestleMania 3. And he still looked, you know, like a former world champion. But in this one, it was absolutely painful. And you could tell Rotunda was having to slow down just because Sheik was not able to keep up. But, I mean, not a, not a good match. Harley Race was interviewed by Gordon Soley about his match against Tommy Rich later on and his opinion on the Flair versus Sting match. I know that you have some uh, rather bitter memories about uh, Tommy Wildfire. That's right, Gordon. He's one of the people that beat me for the world's title during the seven times that I held it. But I'm going to take care of Rich in my own way. I know Tommy Rich is a beaten man. One thing about this show, almost every interview they did, they mentioned the main event. Uh, third match of the night, Doug Furness defeated Dirty Dutch Mantel by pinfall with a snap overhead belly-to-belly suplex. He's got him locked in. Mantel's helpless. Snap belly-to-belly suplex. Leg grapevine. And Doug Furness has won this Dutch one. Mantel's back was as hairy as a Sasquatch. And if anybody needs some Manscaped, cheap plug here, uh, Slop Drop is your your promo code for 20% off and free shipping. 
Yeah, Doug Furness. I mean, he looked good. He looked strong. Uh, Dutch Mantel, I mean, I couldn't take my eyes off his back. <laughs> I mean, the hairy back, I was like, for the love of God, someone shave his back for him. Where's Judy but, Bagwell? Uh, yeah, yeah, where's Judy Bagwell to help shave him? Or, you know, there was no Manscaped back in 1990. But uh, Doug Furness, you know, he was really getting a push. I know Jim Ross was always a big fan of his. Um, he would get a push, too, back in the WWE. Uh, I think it was right around 95, 96. Uh, spent some time. I think he even spent a little time in ECW, of all places. But, uh, you know, Doug Furness, a uh, strong guy, just a guy that could never really cut a promo. And Dutch Mantel, uh, just a worker with a hairy back. <laughs> Jim Cornette was interviewed and, of course, firing on all cylinders as usual. You got the Southern boys. You know, Steve Armstrong wanted to be a country star, except he had to give up singing because of his throat. Somebody threatened to cut it. So now they're wrestlers, and they say they're pretty good ones. Well, I'll tell you something, Southern boys, when you sit back here in that dressing room, I want you to look yourselves in the mirror, and I want you to ask yourselves a question. Are we big enough? Are we bad enough? Are we mean enough, tough enough? Have we got guts enough to get in that ring and take a tag team championship away from the Midnight Express? Because every great team in wrestling over the years have tried. Very few have succeeded, and those that did knew that they were in the fight of their life. The Midnight Express are the best in the world at what they do. And Southern boys, you may be champions one day, but not this day. He puts over the Midnight Express and also says Ric Flair will retain the title tonight. Uh, fourth match, Harley Race defeated Tommy Rich by pinfall after Race rolls through a crossbody. There's Rich off the top rope. Race rolls through it. Rich, Race is going to hold the leg. And Harley Race has beat Tommy Rich. This was billed as the battle of two former great world champions. Of course, Tommy Rich beat Harley Race for the NWA world title on April 27th, 1981. And just four days later, he lost it back to Race on May 1st, 1981. There's an interesting story of why uh, Tommy won the title in the first place, involving certain favors to or by or for Jim Barnett. I don't know if I buy into that conspiracy, but you guys can Google that out there. But what did you think of Tommy Rich versus Harley Race for the well, second time? All I could hear was your impression of Tommy Rich. <laughs> uh, I kept thinking about that while he was walking to the ring. But Tommy Rich, they had mentioned – Early in the match, hey, he had dropped, I think, what, like 20-something pounds. Yeah. He was looking in good shape. He was moving good. And then you have at Harley Race, which I have nothing but respect for, one of the greatest world champions of all time. But at the very end of his career, I mean, he was, even though he was out of shape, he could still work. But why did they have Race go over Rich? I mean, is it a payback for what happened all those years earlier? Or, uh, I, I mean, you think, you know, Rich is a guy you just brought back. You're looking to have him long-term with the company. Race, you're getting ready to transition to end up being a manager. You know, why do you have Race defeat Rich? It seems like, wouldn't you want to start building some momentum for the new incoming Tommy Rich, who had just dropped like 28 pounds? Somebody say something about world titles. Uh, it's, it's Ole Anderson booking. Uh, I believe he was the head booker during this time. And that's one reason we saw Buddy Landell back uh, opening up the first card or the first match because I, I don't know. I think uh, Ole, uh, you know, was doing some favors for some old friends maybe. Well, my question is on Tommy Rich. You know, you're talking about NWA heavyweight champions. 
Is Tommy Rich the worst <laughs> NWA heavyweight champion of all time? He probably is. He held the title for four days, so probably Tommy Rich is probably the worst. And all due respect to Tommy Rich, I hear I hear he's a nice guy, but well, I know you know. And, and real quick on, on this subject, you know, the the rumors always been Tommy Rich, you know, did something for Jim Barnett and ultimately got it. I know Harley Race has said in interviews that the title switch was there was a power struggle in the Georgia Territory uh, with uh, Jim Barnett and, and the group up there, and that they were really looking to build some fan interest, boost some live gates, and and uh, Jim Barnett was really trying to shore up his position. But a four-day reign, you know, why, why do you do a four-day reign? I mean, what long-term do you do with that? And... I, I mean, in my opinion, I mean, there's been some champs that, that couldn't work. And I, I think this is the sad thing, is Tommy Ridge could work, mm-hmm. but he wasn't really given an opportunity to work with the title. And for that is why I have to say he is he is really probably one of the weakest NWA heavyweight champions just because how his title reign was done. He was a better worker than a lot of guys that would end up getting the belt, but just a complete uh, complete misuse. Yeah, even though he may be considered the worst, it's not his fault. They should have let him, at least a few months. They, they didn't even have time to do any touring around the territories. I mean, four days later is not enough to get over with fans. Well, think about it. You don't have the internet at this time, so by the time the m- monthly newsletter is coming out, they've already switched the title back. Yeah. Uh, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And this, just kind of like this match here, didn't make a lot of sense. Why do you have him lose uh, coming back and getting in shape and trying to really push him? And, you know, why do you have him lose so quickly? Yeah, I, I don't get it. Uh, Polly Dangerously and Mean Mark are interviewed. They also put over Flair before saying Mean Mark will win the United States Championship title later on. Mean Mark Callis tonight will take Lex Luger. And you know, speaking of Luger, I got this, I don't know if it's a t-shirt or if it's toilet paper, and it shows Lex about to flex. You know, Lex, the first time you do this against this man, he's going to rip your stinking head off and spit right down your throat. Fifth match, the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette defeated the Southern Boys after Bobby Eaton rolls up Tracy Smothers for the pin to retain the NWA United States Tag Team titles. Stan Lane kicks Smothers in the head, allowing Eaton to roll him up and uh, for the pin, and, and they retain. Southern boys Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong, they don't get much of a response from the Baltimore crowd. And of course, they're dressed up like Confederate soldiers and rocking the stars and bars on their shorts, something that would not fly today. Jim Ross has said on Grilling with JR that this was his favorite match on the card, and it's hard to, to dispute that. This was a good match. Don't watch anything else in the show. Uh, you sure as hell ought to watch that tag match, Midnight and the Southern Boys. And they just, they delivered. And it was innovative. They were ahead of their time on a lot of stuff. And you'll see when, when you watch it, 
Oh, that's what he's talking about. Yeah, the, this martial arts thing was added in. Oh, they did this thing. These kicks are unique. All that stuff looks you known to now, today, but then all that stuff is very innovative. And you'll you'll like it. Well, number one, it was the longest match on the card. Went over 18 minutes. They gave them plenty of time. But Bobby Eaton in the Midnight Express was over. I mean, there was a lot of Bobby chance, so the crowd was really for him. Uh, and this, I think this was probably the best match on yeah. the card. This was the one where I thought the crowd was most into. They were pumped up. And a lot of that is uh, Jim Cornette. I mean, the things he was doing, at, you know, from the sidelines, getting everyone pumped up. But uh, the Midnight Express, you know, they wouldn't be around for much longer after this. And and seeing this group right here, this was probably probably really the best that they really looked to me, in, in, especially with this incarnation of it. Uh, but, I mean, just think about it. After this, it was October of 1990, and they're going to be split up, split up. So... Uh, it's all going to break up not long after this. So uh, you're going to have a singles push by Bobby Eaton. And, of course, Stan Lane, uh, you know, just kind of went away. Yeah. Six match from that. Big Van Vader defeated the Z-Man by pinfall with a big splash. Big splash. 399. He's got the leg grapevine. My no goodness. Way. Big Van Vader is devastating. This big man is, is awesome. This was the debut of Vader in WCW. He comes out with his badass samurai headgear and just totally dominates zinc man you got to wonder who tom zinc pissed off because <laughs> two minutes and 16 seconds uh big van vader uh didn't get much of a reaction that the headgear was pretty cool uh it's been a long time since i've seen him come out with that headgear piece and uh that you know i've really enjoyed him coming out with that but it's like the crowd didn't really know what to make of him uh but i mean why I'm trying to think, WCW, NWA booking back in this time, why have one of your young talents, your young superstars, get squashed the way they did? I mean, isn't there someone else they could have thrown out there that could have been, uh, you know, someone, you know, you give the Iron Sheik seven minutes earlier in the day. To me, you have Van Vader beat a former world champion in Sheik and put him over. Uh, not, a, not a good match, though, for Zink. Well, this is where they probably should have inserted Buddy Landell. I get why they... Uh... They did it because Vader needed to squash somebody, but probably didn't need to be Zinc. Well, hey, great point. Why not have Pillman and Zinc in the opening match? Two young talents showing the young, young athleticism in WCW. And then you put Landell with Big Van Vader or, you know, move the card around a little bit. I mean, early, you know, you got Buddy Landell, you got Iron Sheik. We got, you know, Dutch Mantel, Harley Race. I mean, Tommy Rich. The, yeah, and Tommy Rich, but just these first five, six, seven matches of the card was not setting up a good foundation. It was almost like they were trying to go WWF light at the time. Yeah. Gordon Sully interviews the four horsemen. Odd that Barry Wendell did all the talking for the horsemen, but even odder to see Sid and Arn together. Junkyard Dog and Paul Orndorff and the Giants seem to think that they are going to give the horsemen a little dose of their own medicine. Well, I'll tell you what, we didn't come here to play around. You got a guy that's seven foot ten, seven foot eleven. We came here to take care of business and uphold the tradition of a horseman. Our boss, so to say, right here, has put together a plan, and we are gonna get rid of the big guy. And we sit right here. We're gonna get it done. Seventh tonight. match: The Steiner brothers defeated the Freebirds by pinfall. Oh, 
Garvin interferes and lays out Scott with a DDT. As the referee kicks him out, Rick gives Hayes a belly-to-belly suplex and then places Scott over the top of him to score the pin. Hayes and Garvin was dressed up like, I don't know, some sort of techno Chippendale dancers with makeup on. Just a weird time, I guess, in the 1990, but that was kind of weird to see. Man, that was <laughs> – when they did their interview, I was like – what is on their face? You know, it's like, were they doing makeup and they stopped him right in the middle of it? And just an awkward, when they came running to the ring, I mean, I love the Freebird fan. Huge Freebird fan, but they came running the ring. I'm like, what the heck are they wearing? <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of chance from the crowd that we can't really repeat what words they were saying uh, towards them. But, uh, I mean, they ended up getting heat by their makeup. Yeah. Uh, uh, but... I know. I really still. I loved enjoyed watching Michael Hayes work. Uh, you know, I love Jimmy Garvin watching him work. But I, I could have done without all the makeup and whatever. Who knows what that outfit was? <laughs> Eighth match of the night: Elegante, the Junkyard Dog, and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff defeated the Horsemen of Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Sid Vicious by disqualification. And now the three Horsemen triple teaming the Junkyard Dog. Send him over the top rope. That'll be a disqualification. Double A was the TV champ at this time, and according to JR, this was Elegante's WCW debut. He would go on to the WWE as Giant Gonzalez. Sid was over huge right now during this match. Uh, the Horseman team up on JYD, toss him over the top rope, resulting in the DQ. That was a weird NWA rule back in the day, and that's how they got the victory. Well, I mean, number one, Elegante couldn't even work. I, I don't think he even did anything in the match. There was one moment where he was going to start to throw a punch and then wasn't sure what to do, and he was just standing there. Junkyard Dog, love him to death. He was out of shape. Paul Orndorff still looked like a million bucks. He should have been with the Horseman, in my opinion. Uh, then, you know, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, Sid Vicious was over with the crowd. The crowd definitely thought he was the ruler of the world. And just, but just an awkward match. The dudes with attitude, Elegante. I know Ted Turner <laughs> was crazy about him. I know he had he had initially had been found with, I guess, the Atlanta Hawks did a tryout for him, and everyone thought, you know, hey, before tip off, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be incredible. Then I think they did tip off and realized he can't move at all. He moves super slow. But from what I've heard and what Jim Ross has said, super nice guy. But the Horsemen should have gone over in this match and. Yeah. You could tell they were trying to push Elegante, who, from what the story I always heard is, the reason they signed him was Ted Turner wanted him after the Atlanta Hawk tryout, which Ted Turner also owned the Hawks. But Ted had thought he had found his Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. And I think we could see Andre the Giant, even in the times where he could barely move, could still work uh, circles around Elegante. Do you remember that hideous suit that the WWF put him in when he jumped ship to... It oh, yeah, like the, the fake ab suit with yeah, like fake the, the hair on the back. Fake hair. I mean, talk about Dutch Mantel, but at least his was real. Just a weird get-up there. Well, from uh, what I heard, too, I mean, you know, I don't think he ever really wanted to be a wrestler. Uh, I, I know initially, I think when he came in the WWF, they were billing him as being eight foot tall, but he really didn't even be want to be a wrestler. And from what I've heard, too, Unfortunately, by the time he retired and ultimately, I'm going to use your line, passed away, uh, you know, he ultimately ended up uh, 
pretty broke. And yeah. but from what I heard, he was a very nice, really good guy. Uh, but sent, I think yeah, I think he sent all of his money back, back to his family to just yeah. to help support them. And they went through all of it. I think from what I've read too, Harvey Wimpleman, yeah. who was a manager of his when he got to the WWF, would send him money to help maintain him and his family. Yeah. So uh, just a really sad story, but. I, I, I thought he was a great guy. I just shouldn't have been a wrestler uh, in that capacity. But uh, just kind of a sad story with him. But sad match, too. Come on. The Horsemen should have definitely gone over in this match. No doubt. Lex Luger defeated Mean Mark Callis with Paul E. Dangerously to retain the United States Heavyweight Championship by pinfall after a clothesline. Luger just nailed Paul E. and clothesline Mean Mark. Four months after this, on November 22nd, 1999, we'll see no more Mean Mark, but we will see him debut in the WWF as The Undertaker. Well, Bookie, Booker, I call him Bookie, Booker, <laughs> Ole Anderson said uh, famously, yeah, that Mark Callis is never going to draw a dime and they should let him go when I know Jim Ross fought hard to keep him yeah. in WCW, but... JR, uh, JR uh, said Ole didn't think he would draw, and he, he went to bat for him. I talked to Ole about Callaway, and he don't like him. I think he's wrong. It was one of those days where it didn't matter. It could have been Luthez. But whatever Ole says is all right with me. He hadn't, drawn him, he hadn't done anything for us yet. I said, we haven't used him yet. You don't expect him to be a superhero if he's, if he's, if he's booked to be somebody's sidekick type thing. So then I talked to Mark. I said, you know, this place here is... They don't value, they're not valuing your, your skills. If you have an opportunity to go to WWE, jump on it. They'll figure out what you're going to do, but you're too damn big and athletic that they're not going to be impressed. And you got too much, you're too much of a pro in the locker room decorum is explicitly good. Anyway, Callaway ends up leaving and what a miss that was. Terrible miss. I love this combination with him and Paul, Paulie Dangerously. I thought they really worked well together. Yeah, uh, Undertaker, original Paul Heyman guy. Yeah, he was a Paul Heyman guy. And Lex Luger, and I'm pointing, I got my finger right now. <laughs> you got to have your thumb out like you're shooting a gun. You know, I'm doing my Lex Luger pose. Uh, you know, Lex Luger, you know, just he was kind of stuck in that United States Championship run. I know they had tried to put him over as a, uh, a you know, the champ. Well, tried to have him, you know, get the belt from flair flair wouldn't give the belt to luger but luger just sitting there kind of spinning his wheels but luger was still over the crowd really liked him but but mean mark Callis showing some of the moves you know walking the top rope things like that uh just totally misused by wcw and of course now has gone on to become you know one of the greatest superstars of all time the undertaker yeah probably the on the mount rushmore of the wwe to some people uh, tenth match, Doom with Teddy Long defeated the Rock and Roll Express to retain the NWA World Tag Team titles by pinfall. And a big shoulder block by Reed. Gibson did not see Reed coming. Oh, and, no. and the Doom will retain the title. After some distraction by Long, allowed Butch Reed to hit Robert Gibson with a top rope shoulder block. I hear Butch Reed is super over in Florida. He's not only over in Florida, but he had to be super busy because think, this was 1990. The internet was just starting to get created. I know Butch Reed helped create the internet. This was a time, a pivotal time in Butch Reed's life 
with all the great things that he was getting started, not only being over in Florida, creating the internet, all the great things that we are now taking advantage of now. He probably created the podcast world. Probably during this match, he was probably running ideas through his head about creating Netflix and podcasts and the internet. I mean, the guy's a genius. Well, this match too, though, the Rock and Roll Express, two of the greatest of all time, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. This was kind of... I think when they were starting to lose their relevance during this era. But what's really cool is think about it. 30 years later, they was a, a NWA champion this last year in a major company. So, and you know, they've been on episodes of AEW. So while they wouldn't reach some of the heights they, they reached in the mid eighties, uh, you know, they had a, they had a really good 2020 before Corona hit. For sure. Main event time, Sting defeated Ric Flair by pinfall. After Flair goes for the figure four, Sting pulls him into a small package to become the new NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Here comes Flair, going for the figure four. Sting's got him inside cradle. The DPO! Yes! A new heavyweight champion of the world has been crowned. Sting has upset Ric Flair to win the heavyweight championship of the world. Stinger has done it. The Stinger has done it. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner and new world champion, This would be passing the torch, as you mentioned earlier, uh, and Sting's first title win. Well, his first title re- uh, win, they played it up huge. The crowd was pumped big time pop whenever sting uh got the title uh the match i I don't know maybe it's just because it's been so long since i've watched it i always envisioned it being like a you know 20 or 30 minute match it was only 16 minutes long but you know flair did the honors and this was something yeah when i was watching this i was thinking you know at the very end they had the picture of him come down with the flames and all that kind of stuff i was like man they're just doing everything to make this a huge moment of passing of the torch. And then Ole Anderson's going to basically the next five months have him, you know, wrestling the uh, the Black Scorpion. Yeah, Jim Cornette said on his podcast that Jim Hurd wanted, wanted the belt off Flair for whatever reason. Hurd had wanted to get that belt off of Flair and, and get it on anybody at that point, but definitely staying. Heard what you were right. He was the VP of WCW from 88 to 92. Uh, him and Flair clashed a lot. Uh, Flair was also on the booking committee. But according to Flair, Heard wanted him to drop the entire Nature Boy persona, cut his hair, and start using a Roman gladiator gimmick by the name of Spartacus in order to change with the times to kind of keep up with the WWE's lame gimmick world over there. This didn't set well with Flair and the rest of the committee. Heard believe Flair's time was over as a main eventer, and he thought the big money was in Sting and Lex Luger. As you mentioned earlier, Flair didn't want to drop to the belt to Luger, but he would Sting. And this all leads to another story we'll talk about on down the road. But, yeah, passing of the torch right My here. mouth is really dry, so try and understand what I'm going to say. Ric Flair is the greatest world champion of all time. Me... On the other hand, I'm a champion tonight and tonight only. I've got some big shoes to fill in Ric Flair's shoes. Although we may have our differences, all I have to say is I'm going to do the best that I can do. 
And that's it. This has, oh. this has to be the happiest moment of your life, though, wasn't it? Rick Flair was a champion six times with the help of the horsemen every time. He's truly a great champion. I know you don't want to hear it, maybe some of you, but it's true. It's a big accomplishment for the Stinger in his short career. Thank you very, very much. You think about 1990, WWF, you had the Ultimate Warrior that, that had just won their championship. You had Sting, just a few months after that, win the WCW championship. What's crazy is their connection, too, is former tag team partners mm -hmm. that kind of started at the same time. The Blade Bunch. But yeah, the but neither one of them, especially in this first run, really got over as the champion. And you know, Ultimate Warrior, I think, was probably for different reasons. But Sting, just some terrible booking. And you know, their next pay per view event ended up being in Chicago. And you go from a show where they got fourteen thousand to only eight thousand at that show. Just a complete misuse of Sting. I think the crowd wanted it. But they didn't want him playing all these stupid games that made him look stupid with the Black Scorpion. But for one night, though, WCW showed that's how you pass the torch. And in 1997, when Sting wrestled Hogan, it should have mirrored this match right here instead of the cluster that it did. Yeah. Well, before we end this, you mentioned uh, the MSW auction earlier. I know we both ended up buying a few things. Shout out to them. If you guys wasn't a part of this you missed out i'm sure they're gonna have another one soon we'll share it on our facebook page but man uh you got what a, a certified Shawn michaels uh, autograph yeah i got a sweet hbk picture i can't wait to get it. it's gonna look good my my office over here and then also uh i had to go uh, a blast from the past and uh i was full of venus envy so i needed some <laughs> val venus uh, a little flashback there. And I think you got something pretty cool, too. I got a uh, WCW Nitro Chris Benoit figure still in the package. I know that's a controversial item to have. But, man, I like wrestling. I love wrestling history. And uh, he was a great wrestler. And, unfortunately, he was a part of a horrible, tragic incident, unforgivable incident in wrestling. But it is a part of it. So, that's a kind of a unique item. So, I grabbed it. Well... I do have to say something that I really noticed on this 1990 Great American Bash. What was this missing? Can, can you guess? Well, there was something missing. Shiavon. Yeah, after this event, Shiavon would be back and he would be on every single WCW event until the end of WCW. So uh, not only was this a passing of the torch, but it was getting ready of the great one. Uh, Tony Schiavone getting ready to come back to WCW. Well, guys, we apologize for being late this week. Sometimes real life happens and stuff comes up. So we had to postpone this show by a few days. Hopefully we'll get back on track soon. But thank you all for listening. Follow us on Facebook at The Slop Drop and on Twitter at The Slop Drop 1. Wherever there's a podcast, we are there. Uh, R.W. Hardy was scheduled to join us last week. But, again, we had to uh, – had to uh, delay this this week's episode, so he'll be joining us on down the road. Our, I think our dub is too co controversial. Uh, from what I hear, he is the heat seeker of independent wrestling. He's going to be on that list with Joey Corman getting banned by every state in the union here if you don't watch it. 
Yeah, no, apparently, too, the other day he was being overrun with fans uh, at the uh, local Colton's uh, when he was trying to eat his steak before the show. Or I don't even know if it was Colton's, but uh, to all the fans out there, if you see R.W. Hardy, please let him be in peace. Quit overrunning him. Let him eat his steak in peace. Just give the man some peace. Yeah, just give R.W. some peace. All right, that about wraps it up. Thank you guys for joining us. Until next time, we are out of here. Woo! Goodbye and good night.